0: Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you give us. Father, we we know that we are weak. Father, we know that we fail you and we fail each other. And Father, we just thank you for being a God of grace and mercy who uses us as your servants even when we have failed. And Father, I just pray that you will lift us up Father, you'll help us to lift our eyes to Jesus and realize that he is the restorer of our souls. And Father, we pray this through his name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So today we're going to continue our focus on our 2016 theme, Equipped to Serve. But first I want to give you a quick Project 6K update for those of you who don't know, early in January, we made a commitment as a body of Christ here at Netherwood Park to join together and read 6,000 books, at least 6,000 books of the Bible as a church family in 2016. So here is our weekly update. So far, 95 different people have committed to reading a minimum of all 66 books of the Bible this year. 95 Remember what I said? I hoped we would get 50. 95 people. I also know of 40 people who have committed to reading at least the New Testament in 2016. Another 40 people. And to date, we have already, as a body of believers here at Netherwood Park, we've already read 755 books of the Bible this year. And that's amazing. Thank you for joining in with that. In addition, 18 different families have already committed to having regular family devotionals throughout this year. And that's fantastic as well. I can't tell you how encouraging it is to me to know that I am a part of a church family that has such a strong desire to be immersed in God's word, such a strong appetite for God's word. I'm sure that you all feel the same way. And as we continue to explore being equipped to serve, last week we started a new sermon series, a series called It Doesn't Matter. And in this series, we're going to confront and we're going to challenge some common objections that we often have to accepting God's call to service. And it's really important that we confront and that we challenge these objections to serve. It's really important that we do that because we know that we are all called to serve. See, our life together wasn't ever meant to be like the Super Bowl. None of of us were ever intended to be on the sideline or in front of a TV watching other people serve. Service in the body of Christ is not a spectator sport. So we started this series last week with a story of Moses and Moses' call to service. And we saw that Moses simply didn't feel like he was qualified for his call. In fact, he was certain that he wasn't the right choice to serve God, to serve God by leading God's chosen people out of Egypt and to the promised land. In fact, Moses' call to God's service was, Why me? What will I say? What if they won't listen to me? What if they won't believe me? Finally, Moses said, I'm not eloquent enough, so please send somebody else. We saw that God's reply to all of those objections that Moses had was, It doesn't matter who you are, Moses. All that matters is who I am, and I am the great I am. So last week we were reminded through Moses' story that our lack of qualifications doesn't disqualify us for lives of service doesn't disqualify us. Our lack of qualifications doesn't disqualify us from answering God's call to us. Our lack of qualifications doesn't relegate us to the sidelines watching others serve. See, our fitness to serve in God's kingdom isn't about who we are not. Instead, it's about who our God is. And today we're going to turn our attention to failure and we're going to talk about failure because frequently the failures of our past stand in the way of our service now and it stands in the way of our service in the future our past failures frequently stand in the way of answering God's call now in fact we often object to God's call by saying things like this no god we can't serve now because we failed you in the past we failed you when we tried to serve you in the past Don't you hate it when you mess up? I mean that, you know, really fall on your face, epic failure kind of mess up. Don't you hate that? And don't you hate it when you mess up in a really public way? When there's no way to hide it, there's no way to mask it, there's no way to deny it. When everyone knows that you've failed and you've failed miserably. And don't you hate it when you not only mess up, but you also let other people down when you mess up? Those times when you have the very best of intentions, you have the very strongest of commitments, and you fail to keep those commitments, and you let someone down, someone you care about, someone who is depending on you, someone who really needed you, you let them down. And don't you hate what comes along with that kind of failure? Don't you hate the embarrassment, the guilt, the shame that comes with that kind of failure? And embarrassment, guilt, and shame often leave us wondering if we'll ever be trusted to serve again. In fact, embarrassment, guilt, and shame often leave us wondering if we even should be trusted to serve again. Can you relate to that? I know I can relate to that. It sounds very familiar to me. So I want you to know up front, if you believe that your past failures have disqualified you for service in God's kingdom, there's some really important lessons that I hope you will get out of today's message. But there's another group of us that also need to get some important lessons out of today's message. See, if you believe that other people's past failures disqualify them for service... If you believe that other people shouldn't be allowed to serve now because they have failed in the past, there's some important lessons in today's message for us as well. And I want you to know that my goal is to convince you, convince you through God's word that it, when it comes to being fit to serve in God's kingdom, it doesn't matter that you failed. Just like last week, there are lots of different Bible characters that we could focus on when we want to talk about service after failure. There are a lot of characters that we could focus on. But once again, we're going to focus on just one character. We're going to focus on Peter, Peter the Apostle. And as we focus on Peter, let's start by reminding ourselves of what he was called to do, of what Peter was called to be. Not only was Peter called to be an apostle... Not only was he called to be one of Jesus' chosen 12, he was called to be the rock of Jesus' newly established church. I think most of you will remember this interaction between Jesus and his chosen 12. We find it in Matthew chapter 6. We'll start reading in verse 13. Matthew 6, 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do people say... I am they replied well some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets but what about you Jesus asked who do you say I am and it's Simon Peter who answers and says you are the Christ the son of the living God Jesus replied to Peter said blessed are you Simon son of Jonah for this was not revealed to you by man but my but my by my father in heaven and I tell you you are Peter you are rock and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it see this is Peter's burning bush moment this is Peter's call to serve This is Peter's call to lead God's chosen people, his call to be God's rock, to lead people out of the slavery of their sin that God promised, had promised the freedom through Jesus Christ and his church. This is his burning bush moment. And as we fast forward in Peter's story, we fast forward all the way to Pentecost, we see Peter answers that call. We see the rock answer that call. You'll also remember this scene, I think. It's after Jesus has been crucified. It's after he's been buried. It's after he rose from the grave. It's after he's appeared to his followers. It's after he's ascended back to heaven. It's after the Holy Spirit has been poured out on Jesus' disciples. And with the Jews from all over the world gathered in one place, gathered in Jerusalem at Pentecost, it's Peter who steps to center stage. We're in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. We read that Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. And he said, fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. I think in a lot of ways, that scene pretty well sums up Peter, doesn't it? Think of us. A lot of us really love Peter. We really relate to Peter because he's the one who's always willing to stand up. Peter's the one who seems always willing to speak up. Peter's the one who always seems willing to confront. Peter's bold. Peter's fearless. Peter is a rock. We look at that and we say, no wonder that God called Peter to serve and God called Peter to lead. Peter seems like an obvious candidate. Except for the fact that Peter was also a failure. Actually, Peter was a spectacular failure. See, between that burning bush moment when when Jesus said, You are the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Between that burning bush moment and this moment when Peter stands up and speaks up and confronts all the Jews in Jerusalem about the Messiah that they have crucified. Between those two moments... Peter failed, and he failed in spectacular fashion. Peter had one of those fall on your face epic failure mess ups. Peter messed up in a really public way. There was really no way for him to hide it, there was no way to deny it. People knew that he had failed, and he had failed miserably. And one of the reasons why Peter's failure was so spectacular is because Peter had such good intentions. Because Peter had such a strong commitment to being who God had called him to be. His failure came out of strong commitment. It came out of the best of intentions. See, Peter was the one who stood up and he spoke up in the midst of other people's doubts and their confusion and boldly declared that Jesus is the Christ. You are the Christ. Peter's the one who responded to Jesus' attempt to wash his feet this way. In John 13 and verse 6, Jesus came to Simon Peter and said to him, and Simon said to Jesus, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And this is classic Peter Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. That's Peter, right? That's passionate Peter. He says, forget the feet, Jesus. Wash me. Give me a bath. Wash all of me. And Peter's also the one who stood up and spoke up when Jesus said that he was going to a place where his disciples couldn't go, where they couldn't follow him. Peter was the one bold enough to ask Jesus the obvious questions. John 13, verse 36. Simon Peter asked Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Now, Peter's the one with the best of intentions and the strongest commitments. He's the one who says, Jesus, I will die for you. And he meant it. Peter's also the one who took those good intentions and strong commitments and saw them end in weakness, saw them end in failure. And the first hint of the failure to come is uttered by Jesus in verse 38 Jesus replies to Peter and says, "Peter, will you really lay down your life for me?" Jesus is saying, "Are you really prepared to die for me?" Because I tell you the truth: before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter's going to go from, "I will die for you" to "You will disown me three times." Let's fast forward the story again. This time we find Peter. He's with Jesus. He's at night. And are soldiers and officials who are coming in in the darkness. And Jesus is there as well. And they arrive on the scene to arrest Jesus and to take Jesus away. And Peter, it's bold Peter. He's the one who pulls a sword and defends Jesus. He cuts off an ear of a servant. He meant it when he said, I will die for you. But Jesus told Peter to put his sword away and Jesus allowed himself to be arrested and allowed himself to be led away and then Peter just blended into the crowd, into this crowd all of whom were waiting to see what was going to happen, what was going to happen to Jesus. And while Peter is waiting with the crowd, a servant girl confronts Peter, John 18 and 17, she says, you're not one of his disciples, are you? And the rock, Peter replies, I am not. And then Peter's gathered with some other people around a fire warming himself. And once again, he's confronted by someone else. They look at him and they say, You're not one of his disciples, are you? And the rock, Peter replies, I am not. And then one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off, challenged Peter. He says, Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? And Peter, the rock, denied it. He said, You did not. At that very moment, a rooster began to crow. Boy, Peter failed. Not only did the rock mess up, but he let someone else down. He let Jesus down. He let the Christ, the Son of the Living God, down. He let him down even though he had the best of intentions. And even though he was sure that he had the strongest of commitments, Peter still failed to keep his commitment and he let Jesus down. And we know what comes with that kind of failure, don't we? We know what Peter was experiencing when that rooster began to crow. Embarrassment, guilt, shame. Embarrassment, guilt, and shame that left Peter wondering if he would ever be trusted again. That left Peter wondering if he ever should be trusted again. So how did Peter move from this failure How did he move from his embarrassment and his guilt and his shame and his doubt back to that rock? Back to the rock who stood up and spoke up and ushered in Jesus' church at Pentecost. How did Peter move from there to the rock? How did Peter move from his spectacular failure to a new beginning as God's chosen servant? And for us, as we sit here this morning, the more important question is, how do we move from our spectacular failures to a new beginning as God's servants? Well, I think we move from failure to service by following the example of Peter, by following the example of the rock. See, when we believe we are disqualified for service because of our past failures, and when we believe that other people should be disqualified for lives of service because of their past failures, we need to pay attention to Peter. And we need to see how Peter was able to move from failure back to service. And just like Peter, our restoration from failure to servant must begin by recognizing our failure We must acknowledge our failure. We must mourn our failure. We must repent of our failure. See, restoration begins in sorrow. Listen to Peter's response to the crowing rooster. This time we're in Matthew's gospel. In chapter 26 and verse 75. The rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. See, I'm here to tell you that sorrow is exactly the correct response when we fail in our service to God. We have to recognize we have failed. We have let our God, we have let our Lord and Master down. And bitter tears are an absolutely correct response to our failure. Sorrow is where restoration begins. But that's not where restoration lives, and that's not where restoration ends up. See, restoration lives in Jesus Christ. Restoration lives because Jesus lives. So out of failure, out of sorrow... Jesus restored Peter to service. Jesus restored him as the rock. And we need to trust that Jesus, out of our failure, out of our sorrow, that Jesus can restore us, that Jesus will restore us if we'll follow the example of Peter. So, what happened between Peter's moment of failure and the moment when he stood up and spoke up at Pentecost? Well, this happened. We're back in John chapter 21. I'll start reading in verse 2. At this point, Peter and some other disciples have spent all night out in a boat. They're fishing. They're not very successful fishermen. They haven't caught a thing. And then from the shore, someone yells out for them to throw their net on the other side of the boat. If you do that, you'll catch some fish. So they did that. And they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish they caught. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now listen to Peter's response. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and he jumped into the water. He started making his way to shore. How do we move from failure to restoration Well, we lift our eyes from our sorrow. We clear our bitter tears and we see and we recognize that Jesus is still there. Jesus is still standing there in front of us. We still recognize that Jesus is with us. We see and recognize that He is still our Lord. And then we abandon all dignity and we jump overboard and we swim and we splash and we run back to Jesus. That's how restoration happens. But we don't stop there. In verse 15, Peter's restoration continues. Listen to this interaction. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said, You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And Peter answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. See, like Peter, our restoration from failure to service continues when we run from sorrow to Jesus and when we confess him as our Lord, when we affirm our love. We're once more able to say, you know, Jesus, you know, I love you above all else. And it's then that Jesus calls us back to our service. He calls us back to our mission. He calls us back to our work. See, Peter's failure didn't disqualify him, and our failures don't disqualify us. Even after our failures, Jesus still calls on us to serve. But it isn't enough to just hear the call. See, true restoration only occurs if we respond to Jesus' call. It only comes if we hear the call and then follow Jesus. See, Jesus tells us just like he told Peter. If you're going to be restored, if you're going to move from failure to service, you must, you must follow me. And then, like Peter Jesus will have transformed our failure to his service. And then we'll be ready to stand up. We'll be ready to speak up. We'll be ready to address the crowds. We'll be ready to proclaim that we are servants of the resurrected Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you're thinking, I have failed in the past, so there's no way that I can serve God now. I want you to leave here today knowing, knowing that service isn't about what you did in the past. No, service is about what Jesus is going to do through you in the future. And if you came here today thinking that there are other people among us that have failed in the past, so they should not be allowed to serve God now, there's no way they should be allowed to do that. I want you to leave here today knowing. Knowing that service isn't about what they did in the past. Instead, it's about what Jesus is going to do through them in the future. The same Jesus who restored the rock after his spectacular failure can restore and will restore us in our failures. If we'll just lift our eyes up from our sorrow and from our guilt. If we'll see that the Lord is still standing there. If we'll abandon all dignity and if we'll run to him. If we'll confess him as our Lord whom we love above all else. Then we will be restored. Restored to hear and follow his call to once more serve in his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is a simple one. In our failures, Father, create in us pure hearts. O Lord, renew and restore steadfast spirits within us so that we can once more stand up and speak up and proclaim our allegiance to the risen Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. So let me close by saying that if you're here in sorrow, in guilt and shame because of your failures to serve your Lord in the past, I want to encourage you to lift up your eyes and recognize that the Lord is standing by to restore you. I want to encourage you to run to him. I want to encourage you to confess your love for him so that you can be restored from your failure back into his service. I want you to run to Jesus as we stand and sing this song. Say yeah.